I just want to say, I know you got to introduce your show, Sturdy, and I apologize for just jumping in, but I've got to tell Chris <laughs> that Wes Craven's new nightmare is my favorite nightmare in Elm Street movie. And his short where he kind of did that was awesome. Just want to get Thank that you. out of the way. Like I absolutely loved every bit of the seven or eight minutes that that short film was. I want more. Well, <laughs> there's never going to be more. <laughs> there you Say go. So. That, that's what I'm saying, though. That's how good it was. Leave him wanting yeah. more. There like, was oh. an old uh, adage from Tex Avery, who was one of uh, the Looney Tunes animators, and he said, "Always leave him wanting more." You know, mm-hmm. and that's it. Short, sweet, to the point. Always leave him wanting more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. did that. What was the name of that one? That was New Tale, the Demon from Elm Street. Okay, the yep, yep, yep. Elm Street. Yep, yep. That, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I just watched that one a little while ago. Oh, yeah, I'd watch them all back to back to back. But yep. it was actually a, a react to the Kruger series that I was watching before it came on here. So I was going to check that one out and see if uh, people were actually audible in their reacts. The thing about a lot of reacts, people kind of just sit there in silence and watch, and I'm like, are they entertained? Like, what, what's going on? Where's the reactions? Right. And did I do something wrong, or is am I that good? Oh, I don't know. Would you? Uh, since you mentioned that, would you want a reaction video? Would like, I want, or would I make one? But no, would you want one? Like somebody watching? Oh yeah, I love reaction film? videos. I love it when people do that because then I kind of sort of gauge whether, like, you know, I'm 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 doing well with my audience if people like it, and you know, seeing a reaction really does help actually as a filmmaker. My next question to you. Because I'm just trying to put some things together now. But just because you mentioned the react, what about if, like, say, us right now, we played the film like as I'm on my live, and we're you're getting like the live reaction with your movie playing? Would you yeah, that could be fun. I, I'm down to do that. If you want to play like a short or something, uh, I could also do like director commentary and stuff. Woo! Oh, gosh, I right, Chris, I yes. I'm pretty familiar with your work before these short films. I interviewed Deborah Lamb a while back. And I had watched your mother short films, and those were really good as well. I heard your sentence at first. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about my mother? And then I go, oh, short film. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Got a lot. I, I, I remember when I made um, Mother, I um, was trying to think of, like, a cool title. And I didn't want to, like, you know, have, like, Psycho 1.5 or something like that. And so I'm like, it just seemed like the only natural title I could think of. But. It just it, I, I don't know if it has the same umph as Psycho, so it's one of those you had to kind of roll the dice on that one and hope people like it. Mm. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes these 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 three films though, these three shorts were just awesome, and I like how you use the characters, but made you didn't use the story. You used like your, I mean, a little bit of it, but you made your own story with it. And I'm like, what shorts? Awesome. What are we? What are, what are we watching? What are you talking about? It's um. I should have had them up. It was, uh, <laughs> Kruger. Kru- yeah. Tales from Elm Street. Mm. The Demon of Elm Street. And- there are actually, uh, there are four Krugers plus, no, wait a second. Well, we did the, we did the supercut to those. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Kruger so one, supercut, the supercut, new tale, and then whatever And then else. new tale. And then the Nightmare Ends on Halloween. Ah, Those yes. are the three we did. And those were just, I was like, wow. I love, the, just, it's just different. It really showed your progression as a filmmaker, too. Starting it with, is, it, uh, Thank you. Uh, I'm glad you actually noticed that. Because, yeah, if you were to pop in the first Nightmare Ends, that was made 20 years ago next summer. Yeah. And in 20 years, you could see how I've advanced. And, again, just doing stuff with no budget. You know, 
even just like the first Kruger was made in um, 2011 and then new tail was made in 2019. And you can just see how just a camera change changes everything. Um, being able to like that Freddie makeup I did. Um, and the very last time we see Freddie is that's just cotton swabs and latex on his face. Yes, there's done, there's man. no I'm mask. Done. There's no nothing. Cause I wanted to see him emote. So, um, I basically, I took latex and I painted his face, put cotton swabs on and create the shape. And I didn't want to lose, you know, my actor in the process. And I did the little brow. He's got a bald cap on. And it's funny because when we wrapped, like, you know, just peel the whole thing off like a <laughs> condom. And it's kind of funny. <laughs> that guy that was playing Freddy was really, really good. He was awesome. That was Roberto Lombardi, and yeah, he definitely um, owned it. And I've seen a lot of like, um, you know, fan casts where they're like, give this guy a chance, or where they're like, actors who could take over after Robert England, and they list Roberto, and that's always flattering. Unfortunately, I just feel that our time um, has passed because mm -hmm. uh, Roberto, he's you know, he's pushing sixty right now, mm -hmm. and we want to specifically do you know a a prequel. And Freddie died when he was in his 30s. So, you know, it's getting harder and harder to do something like that. So, yeah. unfortunately, I think our time for Kruger has passed. I, in the foreseeable future, you know, if I ever did Kruger, it, he would have to come on in a different role. He would not be able to do Freddie just because of his age at this point. It's the same thing of like Robert England played yeah. Freddie in 2003. He was 60 something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, hey, man. I, I literally when we when I started watching that fucking fan film the the short, I was like holy fuck, like this dude looks like you pulled him out of a goddamn MCU timeline doppelganger of Robert England, just a little bit younger, some earrings, you know what I mean? That I was like holy mm -hmm. shit. Yeah, I got really lucky with uh, casting him. I met Roberto back in two thousand seven um, when I was doing my first feature, Methodic, and he applied for. Um, just a bit part and you know we became friends after it took about a year and a half before we actually became friends because I saw him in 2007 I'm like all right that's it I'll move on with my life and then um, in 2008 a year later I was gonna do um, a maniac cop fan film and I just needed someone to get murdered and I'm like hey man you want to get murdered in this and he goes sure so um, uh, uh, he came out he got killed in that one and that's when we kind of started really hanging out. And then 2009 rolled around and we did, um, what did we do? Was he in, I can't remember if he was in my methodic 1.5 short or not, but, uh, we started doing some stuff. We did a joke or fan film. He was in that. And then finally, uh, Ooh. sometime between 2010 and 2011, I was conceptualizing the killer prequels, which was Kruger, Myers, and Voorhees, where it's a six-year-old Michael, it's a Pamela Voorhees story, and a Springwood slasher Freddy oh story. God. And I was like, that'd be really cool to do. You know, no one's done, really done anything like that. Who could play Freddy Krueger? And I look at my girlfriend at the time. We both go Roberto because he we recognize that nose. And we're like, yeah, he's yep. got he's got that face. Maybe we can make it work. And so that was that. Wow, that's so awesome. That's, that's great. Awesome. It is. It is, and it, like. Again, going back to how you told for all three of these short films, the way you just told the stories and had them connect, like, I'm like, wow, I didn't see any of this going this way at all. Yeah, I didn't get this from the oh my god! Now all of these guys are in this movie. Holy it's, shit! 
Well, okay, so the idea behind Nightmares and Halloween came from a very specific moment in my life. It was 2003, and I was uh, at Dragon Con. So if anybody is a convention goer, Dragon Con is usually like the place to be after uh, Comic Con. So mm -hmm. I was there, and that was the second convention I ever went to. And um, I was at the costume contest, and I was dressed up as Ash from Army of Darkness. So I'm waiting backstage, right? And they have the screen come down. And they played Sandy Calora's Batman Dead End. So I'm watching the movie backwards because I'm behind the screen and everything. But I'm watching. And I'm like, oh, shit. They got Batman. They got Predator. They got the Xenomorph. They got the Joker in there. That's pretty cool. Hollywood could never pull off something like that. Good on him for thinking that idea. And then mm -hmm. I go, wait a minute. I don't want to do that. Okay. What can I do that Hollywood could never do? Yes, I must think. And I conceptualized. That's where I came up with my idea. I go, if I'm going to do a fan, if I'm going to do something that Hollywood could never fucking do. And that was put all those killers in one room. And that was always the idea was to get them all into one room. Um, you know, we did the first fan film in 2004, shot out on home video. Mm -hmm. And for seven years, everyone's like, hey, where's the sequel? Where's the sequel? Where's the sequel? I'm like, Okay, fine, 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 fine. Stop bothering me. And I, I shit you not, I would get like an email a day asking me for seven years, every single day, where's part two, where's part two? So I was like, fine, this will shut everybody up. So, you know, we ended the first fan film on the cliffhanger that Freddy was going to get fucked by everybody. They were all going to come in and beat the shit out of him. And I go, all right, fine, I got to do that fight. So I did the melee fight and then I did the individual fights. And that was the whole point of part two was just to finally give people what I kept mm -hmm. promising at the very end. See, I, don't oh, know. I, I need to watch part two. We should have watched part two also. <laughs> I have a super cut of one and two together, actually. Uh, I wish I would have known. I would have did that too. Well, it's next on the channel. Time. Next time, we will watch it next time. Then, I cool. um, I I gotta say, I I'm looking forward to seeing <clears throat> part two because, like I said, your the progression of that film to Kruger definitely shows a much more mature somebody who's been doing it for a little while. You could see um, in part two is well, we filmed Nightmares and Halloween part two after the first Kruger because Roberto came on and he did, you know, Springwood Slasher Freddy. And then I was hanging out with him. I go, hey, man, since we already did you as Freddy, why don't we put you in the makeup and do part two? So that's where it kind of went from there. And, um, you know, the makeup effects were definitely not as good as they were in New Tale. But compared to the first movie, his Freddy makeup got progressively better. Mm -hmm. It was the same effect. We used the mask and we cut out the mouth and latexed it to his face. Bigger set pieces, which is kind of nice. I had this wonderful, <clears> wonderful <throat> rain, rainy fight with Freddie and Jason. It was a rematch. Yeah. And um, one of my favorite shots in it is uh, when they're about to like attack each other, I managed to, because uh, it was raining so damn hard uh, that day. I don't know why, but it did. <clears throat> I got the headlights of this car, put the high beams on it illuminated all the rain yeah and i did a silhouette shot of the two of them charging at each other and then um the best part is when freddie insults jason because you know he hits him with the machete and bubble because you're running out of moves for he so he just throws down the machete and picks up this massive fucking branch that was yeah. there this wasn't scripted but there was just this huge 20 foot long branch he takes and just fucking swings it and knocks him out like you know playing baseball it was hilarious i loved it i loved it I loved it. And even when he basically said it to Michael, too, when Michael dropped the knife and fist fought him. I was that, like, he said that's uh, real mature, I think it was. Uh, with the with the Nightmare Ends, those were more of the latter Freddy, where he's like, you know, kind of quippy and mm -hmm. sarcastic. The 
Kruger series was dead serious. Like I did not want to bring in any of the the camp from the later sequels. Yeah. So yeah, um, you can kind of see like the dichotomy of the character, how one aspect, you know, in the the, the versus movies, he's funny and he's got mm-hmm. one. He's talking to a bunch of mutes essentially. So he, he's, he's got to carry really those is. scenes. He really is. Oh wow! I didn't even yeah. Think. So Deadpool told me about this movie. Or these movies and these shorts. And when I first watched Kruger, oh my God, I was so angry. I was like, God damn, this is good. But this is, I'm so mad at this. It's so good that I'm so mad at it. Just, oh, Freddie, I hated him. I hated him so much. Oh, absolutely. He's a bastard. Oh. Yeah, you captured something the 2013 movie didn't do so well. At all. You captured him as the killer and child molester, but you did it in a way that when he goes to kill the, the kid in the uh, middle of the episode, the movie, it cuts to a red screen. Like you just see the screen and blood drip down the screen. You don't actually see anything. Your mind gets to do it. And I thought that was really well done. Well, one of the you know mistakes I think a lot of either inexperienced filmmakers or just bad filmmakers make is they they tell. And um, rather than show now, you know, the whole show don't tell thing in this instance, I don't think it's um, I think it's smart to not show the kill and let your mind do the work for you, because anything I'm going to make you anything I'm going to show you could not be as worse as what you can imagine it to be. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, a a, a filmmaking technique employed by like Hitchcock and a bunch of other filmmakers. Um, But the other thing is the setups the setups were um i tried to make those as realistic as possible the instance where he gets the girl in the park that's stranger danger yeah that is a a a thing from the 60s and 70s where they would show these films to students in school and go stranger danger don't you know tell someone your name and blah 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 and i'd always hear these stories from like adults saying yeah i almost got abducted by some guy in a van or a car or whatever you know Mm -hmm. so i was like all right well i'm gonna show that and because they are they hit so close to home i think that's why it messes with people i had a public screening um at the library where um they filmed the original movie and i filmed a portion of my movie there Mm -hmm. in uh, los angeles they used it as the police station oh nice in the first nightmare so we screened there and i straight up told people when they're coming they go listen there's gonna be some stuff in here it's gonna make you feel really weird if if you're if you're sensitive or squeamish to you know this this type of content, leave now or forever hold your peace. And yep. sure enough, people sat out and then they started walking out. I go, what did I say? Yeah, some people are just like, oh, I can handle, I can handle anything. Like this isn't just blood and gore. That's not what I was talking the about. The funny thing is, it's not that graphic, essentially, with the exception no. of the the one the one kill we have with the boy. Yeah, Michael. everything else is really implied. But I think that's but that was when people started leaving. They were leaving with the implicated stuff, not the physical stuff. So it's interesting to see how people can react to their own imaginations. You know what it is with that? It could be that or it could be just somebody that doesn't have that type of imagination. And they need the. they feel like they need the visual. Like, I got to see this. No, no. They, these were grown women, like conservative yeah. looking women, not like horror fans. Oh, these just passerbys who came in and wanted to see what was oh. going on. And they like just start shaking their heads. I go, nope, nope, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. Yep. These are not the people who are like, I got, I need blood. These yeah. are the ones who are just like, okay. I'm going to have nightmares when I go home. <laughs> oh, it did its job then. <laughs> it did, oh, absolutely. It did its job. It did its job. <laughs> I mean, we forget I just feel bad it, for like... them because I warned them. 
we forget how much of a son of a bitch Freddy Krueger was because you know the films make him uh, comedic after a while, but he That's really amazing. got yeah. got that. There point literally across. are people who are like sexually attracted to Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. and I'm like, are you stupid? But so you know like, that was one of my intents going into the Kruger series was to remind people, hey, all you people who are like jerking off to Freddy, he's a child killer mm-hmm. and allegedly a molester. I didn't want to touch upon that. I just went allegedly. I never had like anything that was, you know, like confirmed. But still, it's like, stop masturbating to Freddy Krueger, please. <laughs> oh, dad. What's up, Madpool? We miss you, buddy. Hey, AJ. How you doing, buddy? He's the one who told us. Hmm? You included your mom in the film? Oh, yeah. Um, so the uh, the scene in the park where he's going to abduct the girl, there's a, a missing child poster, and that's actually my mother's childhood photo. That's awesome. Because I was just looking for uh, online and everything for photos of, like, kids from that era, and my mom was a child mm-hmm. in the 60s, so I was like... Hey mom, can I just like rummage through your photo book? She goes, "Why?" I go, "No reason." <laughs> I, I put the, I found the photo, scanned it in, and she's like, "What are you doing?" I go, "Just making a missing child poster." Why? I go, "You'll see." <laughs> and that was that. I'm glad you referenced Batman Dead End because that that movie was fantastic. It's the first fan film I ever saw, and I was like, "Wow, this is really good." Did you want to get into filmmaking prior to watching Batman Dead End? Yes. Uh, first off, I will say that Dead End was probably the introduction to a, for a lot of people to fan films, myself included. I never knew what a fan film was before I saw that. And I'm like, or oh, shit, we can do that? Yeah, I think And that was like, what the thought came for me. It's just like, I didn't know that I could do something like that. Now, I had ideas as a kid. Like, I wanted to do my own Ace Ventura movie when it came out. So I tried with my home camera to do an Ace Ventura movie, but it didn't work. Technically, I was doing fan films, you know, 30 years ago. But regardless... Um, after seeing Dead End and realizing that they had production value into it and everything, I go, okay, I'm going to do that for a lot less money, but I'm going to do that. <laughs> hey, you did it, though. But I always wanted to be a filmmaker. Um, the idea really hit me, I want to say, when um, probably when I saw Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the original movie, because that was my parents, that was the first movie I saw where my, my jaw was just on the floor the whole time. You know, yeah, because that was beautifully made. You know, Jim Henson was firing in all cylinders, those costumes, the score, just everything was fantastic. Um, and it still holds up, in my opinion. I don't care what anyone I, says. I was just about to say, I love those freaking like turtles and horror is my is my shit. <laughs> I love those freaking movies, the games, the cartoons, all of it. I just mm-hmm. I, so, I, I'm I met Kim, me and my brother met Kevin Eastman back when you came back here a couple years ago and signed our signed our books and drew turtles in our books that was like i was that's the only time i was starstruck as far as like meeting celebrities that was the only freaking time where i, I didn't know what the hell to say stumbling i just i just stood there can you draw that's down cool. please smiling and that was it thank you <laughs> i would love to pitch to him my casey jones idea i did two casey jones fan films but i have an idea Ooh. for like uh, uh like a rated r tv series um, Ooh. which would be like set in the 80s Ooh. and so like the concept base it's like taxi driver essentially but with casey jones in it instead and um i i i was trying really hard to get in with anybody who who knew those people but um the concept was basically we see him becoming what he is going to eventually become 
Um, and you see the, the, the genesis with him getting kicked off the hockey team because he's too violent, but actually he's beating the shit out of somebody who was being racist to his friend. Um, so every, every fuck up that lands him in jail or gets him in trouble, there was a good intention going in. Okay. That's like the angle I want to take on Casey is that he always had a good intention with whatever he did. It's just the execution was either sloppy or poor. And, um, you know, it's, it, he's just a colossal screw up is what he is, but, uh, he learns, he learns along the way, but he, he goes through the John McClane. He's going to get fucked up along the way. I like that. I like that. Oh, wrong link. <laughs> the bot. What's up, scene snobs? What's up, oh, yeah. Snobs? Snobs. So, yeah, so you saw Ninja Turtles. All right, yeah. I, last, I totally lost <laughs> track where I was going with that one. <laughs> Thank you. So I saw Turtles, and I said to myself, you know, I want to be – I want to be able to do that, but I didn't know what it was. Now, at the time, I knew how to draw, and I was drawing. My father was an artist, so everyone's like, oh, you're going to be an artist like your dad. I go, guess so. Yeah, I'm going to be an artist like my dad, right? So, you know, I'm growing up, and I'm drawing, and as I'm growing up and drawing, I'm realizing this is really fucking tedious. I'm drawing. It's taking fucking forever to do it. Then I go into animation. I go, that's what I'll do. I'll become an animator because I can draw and I can make movies. And I realized that is way more tedious because instead of just drawing one picture and being done with it, now I got to draw thousands of pictures and make them all work. And I hated it because it was just way too much for me to handle. Um, And I, at some point said, you know what? I'm going to do the Tim Burton thing. I'm going to go to school for animation to become a filmmaker because no offense, but film students are fucking idiots. Every film student I ever went to was just like jerking off to Quentin Tarantino and Stanley Kubrick and making black and white crap and it just, you know, long shots for no reason. And I was like, I hate you people. So I'd rather learn how to do animation and then make a movie using my animation skills. And I did. And actually the first live action film I made was Nightmare Ends on Halloween. That's interesting. That's so really yeah, that was my third year in uh, yeah my third year in college, um, and so three years of animation. And I go, okay, I now know how to work a camera. I now know how to edit, and I now know how to do special effects because I was doing stop motion. So I knew mold making, I knew puppet making, set building, and 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 special effects makeup and all that because you know you got to build these things and do all this crap for it. So I'm like, I have all the skills that I need. I made, I sculpted that Jason Voorhees hockey mask myself and cast it in a mold and everything so yeah i basically just said screw it i'm gonna rent the camera and rent some lights and i made the first nightmares in halloween uh while i was in uh, animation that's awesome then i tried to submit that for my seat my thesis and they go no you have to do something animated you're in an animation stupid and i go fuck <laughs> so my thesis sucked shit that was i gotta ask great. what what do you say to somebody who would um, approach you and be like, why make fan films? There's not a lot of money in fan films. No, oh, yeah, there's absolutely no money in fan films, nor should there be. Uh, which, by the way, that brings me to an important point. I do not contone nor support big budgeted fan films. Anything that's over five, ten thousand dollars should not exist. If you're trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars to do a Friday the 13th movie, get bent as far as I'm concerned. Because why the hell do you need that much money? What are you mm. gonna do that's so amazing and so different? Oh, you're gonna sculpt the mask yourself. I did that. I did the first Nightmares on Halloween for 500 bucks. I made a, a Jason mask too. Why do you need $100,000? Mm. 
oh, we're going to shoot on red. We got to pay the editor. We got to pay the actress. It's a fucking fan film. If you got $100,000 to do a fan film, you got $100,000 to do an original movie. But getting on to that, um, <laughs> what was the question? Uh, that you think, think you answered it. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. With that rant, he did. He, he pretty much did it. Now, why, why, why make fan films? Like, okay, why so why that? make fan films? Fan films are excellent um, for multiple reasons. One, for practice. You can just make stuff about things that you enjoy, and um, you could learn how to become a filmmaker in the process. Two, it's really amazing exposure for yourself because if you're capable of doing a good fan film about a property that maybe doesn't have a lot of fan films to it, if any at all, you a did the first b you did the best and c um people want to watch it because they it's already got a built-in fan base so just coming at it from a marketing standpoint you're tapping into something that already has a pre-existing fan base so you know for a fact you're going to get an audience regardless whether it's good or bad but if you do something that's good and you're you you manage to romance that audience they will view it as headcanon for them and they could then be on your side petition you for future projects like, for example, Kruger with me, I, we did have people who actually tried to get me in front of Newland. It didn't work, but they tried, and I appreciated that, you know? Um, there are people who go, I watch the Kruger series, and then I put in Nightmare on, uh, or Night, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, and it, it's canon for me. I go, fantastic. Um, my fan films have gotten me to become guests at conventions, so that's nice. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely, you know, there's merit in making fan films. However, I do not think there is merit in making a big budget fan film because what sets you apart from just a regular production at that point? Everything I've done has been for under $2,000 a pop, sometimes even less than that, $500, $100, depending. If I had $100,000 and I made a fan film, I just made an independent movie at that point. I can't sell it, but I had the budget. So there's nothing at stake for me, really, because I didn't have to explore or try to uh, 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 you know challenge my skills as a filmmaker to pull it off you know so yeah anytime you see someone asking for 50 100 200 thousand dollars a million dollars to do a fucking fan film you should be like why oh we really love it oh you really love it good for you what do you fucking need that kind of money for i did um and, and that's another thing that bothers me too about a lot of filmmakers. I know everyone has their own speed at filmmaking, but there are people like, oh, it takes like months, weeks, years to do um, a, a project. So we have to pay everybody. It's like, oh, I work for free and everybody who works for me works for free too because, you know, it's a fucking fan film. You can't profit from that too. It takes me a, a day, two days to do a fan film. I did New Tale in two days. And that's only because we were doing night scenes and I didn't want to be up until 4 a.m. You know, people mm -hmm. get tired, people get hungry um, or the makeup was coming off for whatever reason. So it's like, I feel that if you're a filmmaker and you want to do a fan film, specifically a fan film, you should challenge yourself to try and make that for under $2,000. And I don't care what your, your story is. I don't care how big your project is supposed to be. You need to make it for under that $2,000 because otherwise what's the point of doing it why are you trying to upstage hollywood if you're getting a indie sized budget that wow that's that's a really cool challenge though i love it 
I'll even say Thank you. I've gotten a lot of a lot of clap back from it. Two thousand dollars or less. It's like yo, two thousand dollars or less. Make up if you're gonna do a fan film, do it for two thousand dollars or less. Let's see who can do the best one and just have a fun competition, which is gonna bring out the best in each other. Because it's like, oh wow, they did this. That's amazing. I gotta, I gotta step exactly. Up. And you know, I I crowdfund for the fan films, but I'm only crowdfunding for the two thousand because I know I just need it for my costumes. I'll do everything else myself, but I need the costumes. And it's it, it pisses me off. It just it really does because I think a it's oversaturating and b it's creating these new standards of of inflation that we shouldn't have. Someone was trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars for a Terminator fan film, a hundred thousand dollars for a Jason fan film, a hundred thousand dollars for a Scooby Doo fan, a hundred thousand dollars for fucking Friday the Thirteenth. Like why? Uh. Why? <laughs> And they get that money too, and then it's like, oh, oh, the other one, Spider-Man Lotus. That was a hundred thousand dollar fan film. Why do you need a hundred thousand dollars to do a fucking Spider-Man movie, dude? Oh, we had to pay our animators. Fan fucking tastic. You paid your animators. What'd you do with the rest of the money? Who hmm. are costumes? I know how much it costs to make a Spider-Man costume. What'd you do with the money? It's all bullshit. And they always say, oh, we have to raise funds for all of our kickbacks or we have to you know have additional money set over for our our crew or whatever no you're paying yourselves is what you're doing you're paying yourselves and you're raising money off a property you don't own off of people who are hungry for content and you're basically just stealing their money and you're going to deliver i don't care how good or how shitty your film is you shouldn't be doing it regardless so i'll get off my soapbox now <laughs> no, I, I love the passion behind Hell it. Oh yeah, um, I that makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I I've liked some of those bigger Friday the Thirteenth movies, but everything you're saying makes sense. Like I I get it, and I gotta say, like of all the people we've interviewed that have made these fan films, you definitely seem like the less stressed out one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I'll say as far as budget wise, yes, because we had some other ones that are I don't know what their budget was, but I know it wasn't like fifty thousand or whatever, and same same thing but they did but no one came on here and said pretty much listen fan film should be two grand or less no one nobody came on here and said that and i think i really think that's an awesome idea and i would love to see independent filmmakers that make fan films just step up to that challenge why not why not yeah why not it's a challenge i mean the whole point is for me i always viewed fan films as this is something that you're trying to do to impress hollywood Mm-hmm. How is Hollywood going to be impressed if you go? Oh, you see that Spider-Man movie? I made that. Yeah. What was your budget? Hundred thousand dollars. Okay. So what? If I were to churn out something that was of the same quality, and I go, you see that? I made that. Oh yeah. What was your budget? Two grand. Holy shit. Two grand? On what? It's my secret. Now imagine that with money. Right. And that's really the way I, I go about pitching myself. You know. Um. With the Kruger shorts, each short was made for like just a couple of hundred bucks, really, because, um, you know, once we got the sweater, that was kind of it. And we got the glove and that was it. And then it's like, oh, I need like a hundred bucks here and there for like a random prop or something. So I was keeping those low, but you watch them and it's just like, well, what did I spend the money on? You'll never know because it's impossible to calculate it because it's like the production quality was actually pretty decent on the Krugers. I was pretty happy with it. Mm hmm. And that just comes down to figuring out like another thing that people go, Oh, we need money for locations. Have you tried walking in and asking politely for something? Mm-hmm. We tried bargaining. Cause I, everywhere I shoot, I shoot for free. 
because I find people who are generous and or I owe them a favor at the end of the day. And it's really good to have a filmmaker in your back pocket. Hey, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got the, it's like the Kevin Smith with when he first started the train of thought, like I can make this for this amount of money, but it, so they see how creative you are. Like you were able to make this with this budget. Like, what can you do if we give you just a little bit more? Like, what if we give exactly. you- Exactly. Like, and that's a really good thing for investors. Yeah. yeah. Shows your resource your original work and you're trying to pitch your original work. They go, oh yeah, what can you do? I can do all this. What'd you do that for? pennies on the dollar dude now imagine what i could do with an actual budget and they go oh shit really yeah and it's always more impressive in my book also at the end of the day i feel better about myself too because ah oh, he froze he was just get... why does this come on restream the stream yards guys Streamyards.com. <laughs> did you guys you guys still there did i lose you for a second, second but we can hear you now we okay, can hear you steaming Am I moving? You were about to say yes. Okay, cool. I was gonna say I know what it's like to shoot a movie uh, on a hundred thousand dollars. It's cushy. You get trailers. You can afford a trailer, uh, at least one trailer, one porta potty, uh, catering. Um, You can shoot for fifteen days, essentially. You can shoot on a red camera. You can afford an editor and a composer. You can pay your actors thousands of dollars a piece because that's how much I budgeted a feature film that I was working on. Okay, you pay yourself a handsome fee. So $100,000 to a fan film is bullshit. <laughs> because what are they? What are you going to do? You know, for the like Spider-Man Lotus, for example, they did have $100,000. What did they do? They had a couple, a couple of CGI shots of him swinging through the city. Everything else was just street level dialogue or shooting on a roof dialogue or a fight scene here and there. Where'd the money go? Yeah, that guy is not a good guy from what I've read. No, he's a piece of shit that. is what he is. So I'm going to talk crap about him. But still, it went <laughs> into his pocket is what it happened. That mo- that money went into his pocket. And he should be ashamed of himself. Oh, and they also had a live premiere. They sold tickets to a premiere as well, which is also disgusting. You can't do that. Mm, mm, mm. Wait till Sorry, I really rose me the wrong way. <laughs> wait till hey. Marvel gets sound of that. <laughs> I, love I hope so. I hope so. And the, the uh, sad part is he did it during the strike, which means he just risked the careers of all the actors who appeared in his movie who didn't know any better. And because his career. when you're working, when you're promoting a struck company during a strike, SAG says, we're not going to ever allow you to become a union member afterwards. So mm. they're never going to be get to be professional actors because mm. of this idiot. That sucks. Mm. That's tough. Yeah. That's wild. But yeah, uh, when it comes to filmmaking, especially indie filmmaking and fan filmmaking, you need to be uh, uh, ingenuitive. You need to be able to think on your feet and find out how to get what you want without spending money. The art of not spending money is a greater skill than anything else in filmmaking. Mm -hmm. I like that. But it makes so much sense because you have to be more creative. Absolutely. I mean, just... I did the first uh, Nightmare Ends of Halloween with garden lights. <laughs> I did because, okay, so do you know the scene where Freddy approaches Michael for the first time in that foggy room and uh, he gets mad and he bitch slaps the pumpkin into the fog? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So what happened was 
when we were filming, um, I had the pumpkin. I had the camera in one hand, the pumpkin in the other, and I was going to underhand it to um, someone on the other side of that light and that fog so they could just catch it. Well, <laughs> first time I did it, I overhanded it, and I beamed the fucking light, and pff, light went out. So you see the, the the pumpkin go right into the light, black. I'm like, shit. I had to go replace the light bulb. I do it a second time. Hit the light a second time. I go, son of a bitch. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I'm going under, to underhand it this time. I'm going to underhand it. So I underhand, and then they finally catch, and I go, thank God, because that was my last light. But that was my last light. I still had to do other stuff. So I used garden lights. I went to Home Depot because those little lights that went into those uh, the the lights I had were um, professional grade, and it was a weekend, and B and H is in New York, and I'm in New Jersey. It was just not in the cards to get new light bulbs for the professional camera lights I had mm -hmm. rented. So I went to Home Depot and I picked up some garden lights, and I just stuck those on the tripod and filmed. And I'm like, all right, it works. In um, the Fifth uh, Elm Street tale. Um, uh, 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 shit. What was it? The, um, was that the legend? Uh, the one, the one where he finally gets burned, the legend of, uh, Elm yeah. Street. I used my cell phone light for certain shots where we're in the park with Freddie in full makeup. And when he's going after the, the mother at the end of it, we had to underlight him. I just used my cell phone. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, you have to just be able to think on your feet and make it work, you know, shoot under, find your locations that are already well lit, go scout, um, find places you can get for free, find places you can get for a favor, ask nicely, overcome your social anxieties and talk to people. See, and you know what I like about what you said on here is, I mean, everybody says, you know, anybody can shoot a film, you got your cell phone, this, that, and the third, but you're just giving people more things like you're. Again, don't be scared to go to whatever store, wherever. Hey, can I shoot here? Can we shoot here? for? I promise it'll only take us five minutes. We're not going to make a mess. We're not going to get in the way. Yep. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever the case may be. We owe you a favor. And that's the art of ninja filmmaking, too. And that's a great point you brought up, which is being able to get in and out without disturbing people. Mm -hmm. If you know for a fact, because you, you read your script, you're good at what you do, you know for a fact it's only going to take you 30 minutes to an hour max to get the scene done and get out. You go in there, you go, look, can we just have this place for an hour? Just one hour. We'll be in and out of your hair. No crude. It's just me, camera, and the actors, and we'll be out. And you can promise that. A lot of people will say yes to you, especially if they're like a fan of whatever the hell, especially if you're making a, a, a fan film. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, you're doing a you're doing a Batman movie? I love Batman. Sure, man. Is Batman going to be here? Because that's the question they're always going to ask you. You know? And um, sometimes people just want that. Um, my most recent fan film, which was uh, I Am Kingpin, I shot at my favorite pizza joint out in LA. Mm. Now the guy there, he's cool. We're buddies and everything, but he loves this stuff. So he actually wanted to be in it. So we murdered him in the short and he was having a blast. We shot the whole movie at his store on his day off, no less. I love because that. he was just a, a great guy and a huge fan, you know? Now for any of those people that you've worked with, especially the ones that have businesses, have you ever done like a commercial for them? Like, Hey, I'll do a commercial. I did. I'm, that's a great follow-up because I just did uh, th three commercials for him. I did those um, out of the kindness of my heart because I liked him. I liked his pizza. And then um, in exchange, I said, Hey, I'll do these commercials. Can I shoot here at some point? He goes, sure. And so when I came to collect, he didn't have a problem at all. And 
that right there, people, is a gem. Hey, I'm mm-hmm. yeah, you can shoot your movie here. It's like, hey, I'll, I'll shoot you guys a commercial as well, just as like a thank you. Do it up, edit it up, and give it to you. And guys. that's why it's Good always market. good to have a filmmaker in your back pocket if you own a business because you get free promotion, you get free content for yourself. Yeah, um, I shot at Esco's Pizza in Hollywood, California, and he, I have done so much for this guy, but he's also done so much for me at this point, and it's been very be- mutually beneficial for the two of us. Um, and I don't have to go elsewhere at this point, but if I did, I'd do the same thing. And I think uh, that's part of the filmmaking process, you know, being able to network, communicate to people, and figuring out what you can do. You know, shoot at a diner, go into a diner and ask. And usually it's like, oh, you buy food. You know, if I, I want to rent a booth, I want to shoot at a booth in a corner of, of a diner, right? Okay, well, you ask and go, we'll buy some food and everything if that's cool. All right, fine, just stay in the corner. Don't make any noise. Not a problem, you know? Um, if you want to shoot in, like, for example, in the Kruger um, where he's chasing that boy through the junkyard. I just went to the junkyard and said, hey, can I film here? It's a junkyard. What are they going to do? Like, oh, we're busy. No, it's a junkyard. So they decide, fine, just what are you going to do? I go, we're going to run through here. And we're going to go to that building, and then he's going to kill the kid. And they're like, all right, all right, fine. That was it. No one had a problem with it. See? See and I, I just like that that stuff still happens. You know what I mean? Or you could just go and kind of just bark and, hey, listen, uh, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you follow up on that, though. You don't screw people over. You follow oh, up on you that. You do need to be a man of your word in this yes. day and age because so many people do screw each other over. Mm-hmm. And I've had experiences where I go in and I ask, and they go, no, 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 no. I had a guy who come in before you, and he did this to me, and I'm not doing it anymore. And I've gotten told no as well because of previous bad experiences. So I feel that it is important that, A, as a filmmaker, you need to know how to network. B, you need to always be a person of your word. And then C, you need to always follow through in all your actions, you know, and that kind of B and C are kind of the same, but that's the point of it. You can't just rely on money. If you're going to sit there and go, I've said this to other filmmakers, you know, oh, we're raising a budget. All right. For what? It's like, well, I'm going to do this. We're like, I want a director's chair. Why do you need a director's chair? (laughs) So I can sit and direct. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, if you're sitting in a chair, then you're clearly not working. Because if you run an indie project, even with a $100,000 budget, your ass should be on your feet at all times, running around and making sure shit's getting done. Because if you're just relying on other people to get shit done, now you're waiting. Now you're on their time. But if you're getting stuff done yourself, they're on your time. So, yeah, I feel that... Um, People who want the experience of a movie set, and while they're oh, we have a trailer and look at my director's chair, it's masturbatorial in my opinion. Hmm. This might be my favorite interview. Well, a little ego. <laughs> it's a little ego. <laughs> no, because what I love, what I love about it is he's being—you could tell that it's being genuine, honest. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying everybody else wasn't, but he's just like this is how this is how passionate. He's passionate. You're passionate very about passionate. what you. I, I am very passionate. I was on, um, I, I, I remember, so I was on a $100,000 uh, budget set. It was my own. And I remember the agony that I experienced waiting on other people, waiting hours for a shot to get set up because the cinematographer was a sloth. Mm. Or they're like, you can't touch that. We hired guys to move that. We have PAs. I go, dude, I'll pick something up. It's fine. 
if it helps get the job done faster, just give me the fucking box. I'll move it myself. You know? Yeah. I'm that kind of person. And I don't like the idea of just sitting and waiting because a that's time wasted. B there's people staring at you probably thinking the same thing as you are. What the fuck is going on? When are we going to go home? So it's like, my goal is to get done now. And I've had the, my cinematographer who was working on that project goes, look, I understand that you're used to doing everything by yourself. You're used to working fast and everything, but this is how it is in the real business. They go, then fucking change it. Okay. If this is how you think it is in the real business, change because I don't want to sit there doing nothing and I don't want my people sitting there doing nothing. I want to get the movie done, especially mm -hmm. if we have limited funds, limited time, and we do have a deadline essentially. I don't care if it's $100,000. You still have to get the fucking movie done at the end of the day. So I do believe that if everyone comes in with that attitude of let me help. Let me um, – if there's something that needs to be moved, I'll move it myself. If there's something that I can do to expedite the situation, let me do it. If everybody has that volunteer mm -hmm. you know, action to themselves, a movie is going to get done a lot more efficiently, a lot quicker with a better overall attitude. When people mm -hmm. just sit there, they think. Mm -hmm. And those thoughts are never always positive. That's true. It's very true. I mean, that works for any job. If everybody just pitches in, you get – the job done faster because you all want to go home at the end of the day Damn and what's better that. what's better wrapping early and then going home or wrapping late and you still have shit to do the next day because no, we didn't early. finish in time and that happened to really? me so i'm never going to forget that experience because i know for a fact that i don't ever want that to happen again mm -hmm. so every feature every short i go into mm -hmm. it's always what can i do to make this go faster and to make everyone less stressed and yeah that is that is my approach to every film and again it's 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 not an ego thing it's not a selfish thing it's a communal aspect of i'm looking out for you as well as myself here you don't want to be here any longer than you have to be why would i what's your favorite of the movies you've made oof um you've gotten awards for some of your movies i, I believe mother got something didn't it yeah, I've gotten a couple of awards. You know how people like to go, oh, I'm an award-winning filmmaker? Until I have, like, you know, a South by Southwest award, an Oscar, or, or a Saturn award, or a Golden Globe, I'm not going to call myself an award-winning filmmaker, but I do have some. Um, I, 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 I did one. I got one for John Wick for my short film Haunted City. Mother got something. The Protector got something. And I think uh, Turned and Kruger were nominated at something down in uh, San Diego. Just a, It's on IMDb. I don't know. <laughs> but my favorites, um, it's kind of more like my eras, I would say. 2019 and 2021 were probably my most prolific years as a filmmaker, um, as I made the most. I think I did like, I want to say 32 shorts in 2019 or something like that. It was a lot. And then in 2021, I just came under that same number but um a lot of those shorts from that time period were were some of my favorites okay okay like the john wick haunted city um space ghost was still pretty good uh gort um gen 13 uh, was really well made i am kingpin just recently was really well made so and the scream short film i really liked uh the scale i brought to the scream fan film I can't wait to watch. Scream is my favorite horror franchise. I cannot wait to watch your Scream fan film. Okay, so I made that movie 
the night they announced that they were going to do Scream Six. Okay. And I was like, "All right, guys," because they, I, I, we were, everyone is on set. We we're all about to film, and then all of a sudden, we get the, the the Twitter announcement: Scream Six is now officially in development. I go, "If they don't steal this idea from me, they're fucking idiots." They didn't steal the idea from me, so they're fucking idiots. But the <laughs> idea I had for my short, you're gonna love. Yeah, I can't wait to check it out. I, oh boy, rabbit I'm hole to check it out. Just because I'm a fan of yours from what I've seen so far. Yeah, you can ask these guys. I don't like Scream, but I am gonna check it out. Did you also I'll, say I'll you did honest, a Joker I didn't film? Like Scream myself, actually. I only like the first movie, and um, I had been asked since Nightmares on Halloween, "Where's Ghostface? You know, why wasn't he in the mix?" And I go, first off, Ghostface isn't one fucking person. He's, He's like a dead. bunch of people mm-hmm. who keep dying. Mm-hmm. Never once has come back from that. Why would Ghostface be amongst Leatherface, Jason, and Freddy, and Michael Myers? Those are not his peers. Not at all. You know, and that's uh, and once I realized that uh, uh, thematically, that's where my idea for the Scream fan film came from. Because everyone's like, "Don't you have an idea for for a Scream?" I go, "He keeps dying every fucking movie, and it's always a new group of people. The next time, it's never the same fucking person. Billy's never once come back from the grave. And even what they did in Scream Five, no, thank you. So." <laughs> How, how do you make that work? And then I realized it's an idea. And the idea of Ghostface is what can be scary. So I focused on that aspect with my short film. And I think that's what helps set mine apart from, you know, all the other fan films and movies out there. Damn, I, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm not spoiling it. We Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Now, did no I hear you say that you, you did a Joker fan film too? I did a couple, actually. I did um, my first Joker fan film was in uh, 2006, and that was uh, right before they announced or, or cast Heath Ledger as the Joker. Wow. And I said, I want to do what I think Christopher Nolan would do for Joker at the time. So we went with the traditional, he's got the white face instead of the makeup and everything. However, this is, to my knowledge, the first time you ever see Joker perspire because the makeup was on so well that he could actually sweat and it wasn't coming off. Oh, shoot. But I treated him like a mafia hitman. So it was a darker outfit. It was a black black suit with a purple shirt and green tie. But um, we went for more Kubrickian vibes because he actually kills these co- these, this dirty cop to um, Ode to Joy with a okay. crowbar. Okay. Yeah. Um. Then after that, in 2009, um, I did a, a fan. I started a fan series where I played Heath Ledger's Joker, okay. um, and we basically did the seduction of Harley Quinn. So it's what was he? How did Heath Ledger's Joker find his Harley Quinn in our story? So it's him and Arkham, and you have the 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 therapy sessions, and then him corrupting her, and then absconding with her in his escape and then the two of them getting their costumes and then going on a murder spree. And that was that, that we did that over the course of a year. Huh. And um, I think, I think that was it. I don't think it did any more official Joker stories after that. Nice. So yes. uh, you have any like crazy ideas of franchises to combine? Yeah. Um, I first off the the best combination ever. I did Amalgam. If anybody's ever read the Amalgam comics, I did an uh-huh. Amalgam's fan film. So we had Super Soldier and Dark Claw and Hyena and Green Skull in it. 
Um, I had to limit myself because there's only so many costumes I can make. Um, and then with uh, other crossovers, what else did I wanted to do? Back in 2004, I wanted to do uh, Batman vs. Punisher, and that never got to happen, unfortunately. Um, and looking back at <clears> it now, it's just... The, the, there's only two logical explanations and only and the fans aren't going to be happy with either. One is Punisher just straight up murders Batman and no one's going to be happy with that. Or two, Batman defeats the Punisher and Punisher shows weakness and no one's going to accept that either. Mm. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to keep my hands off of this one. Um, other crossover ideas. Uh, hang on. I actually have a list of... <laughs> I get bored on chat GPT and I type in like weird crossovers. Like I did a uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles vacation at Cramp Crystal Lake. I did um, Ace Ventura <laughs> takes a nap on Elm Street. Yeah. Uh, oh see, my God. Like that just because even to do like a fan film, that'd be another fun challenge. For oh. All right. So these are my um, mask versus almost were ideas. Okay. So these are all the things that I wanted to do, but never got to do. Some are technical crossover. Some are not. But um, the first film I wanted to do was called After the Massacre, which was what happened to the truck driver in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm. And I wanted to, you know, Leatherface obviously kills him and everything, but that was going to be it. I wanted to do um, a, uh, a Tim Burton Batman movie called uh, Mask of Vanity, where you see the Keaton Batman go up against a Clayface type. And Clayface in this version would be like what Tim Burton would imagine Clayface to be. Um, there was Batman Punisher. I wanted to do Catwoman versus Black Cat, but I never did that. Um, I wanted to do, uh, remember that animated TV series called Cops back in the, the 90s, mm -hmm. in the late 80s? Yep. I wanted to do Cops, but um, unfortunately, George Floyd happened. I just said, no copaganda. I'm done. That's and fair. Then, um, <laughs> that is fair. I wanted to do Danger Girl the okay. j scott campbell comic um and i almost filmed that one actually we, we uh we did a fight choreography and we had everything i had the costume bought the posters taken then my actor bailed on the day of fight rehearsal and i was like what and that was the end of that <laughs> shit you're um, passionate about so many things have you thought about doing anything spoofy spoofy like making like a spoof film about making absurd amount of fan films like expensive fan films i can't do uh self-aware stuff like that uh i just think that's a little too tongue-in-cheek for me <laughs> um i'm trying to think like for for me and everything like that what i people always go oh oh it's that really funny story happening there's a movie one day i go i'm not gonna make that movie that is based on my real life because I just think it's a little too arrogant for me. I'm already arrogant enough as it is. So <laughs> I don't want to do uh, like self-inserting myself into new tail is about as arrogant as I'm going to get with my shit. I new tail, man. I, I, Oh, I want more. <laughs> Dude, it was so good. <laughs> it is. I was really shocked how good it was. Like, I, I don't know anything about the production, but there is like a Dylan's new nightmare coming out with the original. Cannot from wait to see Raven's that nightmare. And yeah. I can't wait to see it just because it's got some association with that. And your short like encapsulated what Wes Craven was doing with New Nightmare so well. Like I really like that. 
it, it's kind of it's kind of a good balance between that and part two with the whole Jesse vibe and how he takes you over did go with the like Jesse that, vibe you know? with the possession of Roberto by Freddie at the end of it and everything. And that was something I took into consideration for a new tale with it. That was a two day production. Um, the problem I'm going to have with Dylan's new nightmare is that it's a continuation, but it's there's no West. West is gone. Heather, yeah. I don't think Heather's going to be in it. And if she is, we is she going to still play? Miko's mom, like I don't know about that. That it's, I'm sure it's going to be fun, but um, with with New Tales specifically, I really just wanted to stay meta, mm-hmm. and I don't think that there's I don't think that Miko Hughes is going to be able to pull in anybody else from the Elm Street franchise to maintain the meta aspect. Yeah, I don't think there is. I had somebody um, comment on New Tale, and it was just like he says, "I feel that in the movie." Freddie represents what the fans want and that Roberto and, and the filmmaker represent what they want. And I go nail on the head, captain obvious. <laughs> it's uh, one of the reasons I'm excited to see your scream franchise. Cause what's Craven's new nightmare was the precursor to scream. And mm-hmm. you handled that so well that I can't wait to see what you do with scream. Cause you really, I do acknowledge the concept of franchises in the scream short, actually. Um, and that's basically Ghostface's plight. The idea that everything is a goddamn franchise. And when, instead of trying to make a franchise, you just need one really good idea. And that's really the whole movie in a nutshell. And I try to really just focus on that. And I, I think that's what sets a lot of my work apart from a Hollywood and possibly other fan filmmakers. Cause I don't know. I don't watch a whole lot of fan films. Um, I really try to be, I, I, I like to subvert stuff. If you look at a lot of um, the stuff I do is a lot of subversion going on rather like, for example, Friday the 13th, when anybody says name a plot of a Friday the 13th movie, it always starts the same way. A group of friends go to the woods to drink and have sex. And Jason shows up. Mm-hmm. Halloween, a group of friends are doing something on Halloween at the Myers house and Michael shows up. A group uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, a group of friends are doing something and Freddy shows up. It's why do we keep doing the same shit? Like I, I there's the trope of a superhero movie. Some woman in the alley is getting mugged and then the hero drops down and <laughs> saves the day. It's always the same trope. So shit. once you abandon the tropes and you start thinking differently, you create different ideas. Um so like with the Kruger and everything, why am I wasting time focusing on the people Freddie's going to kill when I should just be focusing on Freddie? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what people came to buy tickets for. They want to see Freddie. They want to see Jason swing his machete. So for my Voorhees short, we're with Pamela Voorhees the whole damn time. Um, with my Kruger short, we're with Freddie the whole damn time. And uh, uh, rather than putting them in the, you know, the special appearance thing, like for Michael, for example, you know, we the, the trope is we don't see the killer until the very end. You know, we get glimpses of the killer throughout the movie, and then boom, at the very end, there he is in full glory. He's killing people, right? No, you're going to get the killer at the beginning. At my Myers short, there's Michael. There he is. He's stalking people. He, we're with him. We're watching it from his perspective this time. I don't give a crap what's going on inside the house. I don't care what people are talking about. I want to see what Michael's doing. I don't want to follow Michael until he murders somebody. And then if I'm going to do a cutaway, I'm going to cut away to something significant that would 
play up the sequence. So if my first Meyer short, the butcher, um, we have these doctors dismissively talking about him mm. and the very last line before he kills somebody, he's harmless. And then he strangles the girl, you know, I got one question. Then I got to bounce. Right if Hollywood showed up to you and said, here is some money, Chris, pick a franchise, which franchise would you pick? Um, first and foremost, um, I have features for them or, or, or I'll go with the scripture I have written. So okay. I do have a feature length Kruger script. So I would take that because that's something I want to do. Um, James Gunn's already doing Superman. So I'm going to let him do his first. And then whether he succeeds or fails depends on whether or not I want to do my own Superman movie. It's James um, Gunn. He's going to succeed. <laughs> what? James Gunn. He's going to succeed. I love oh, he him. will. He totally will. So <laughs> I'm going to have to like wait like another 15 years before I can get like in the seat. So when I'm like collecting, you know, social security they be like hey chris do you still want to yeah sure let's do it you know mm -hmm. but uh i think kruger probably be the first thing i want to do just because i already have the script it's 125 pages it's the series the supercut that i have expanded oh and it's everything it's literally his birth to his death and the movie encompasses everything that you want to see in freddie's life everything we need that movie. Robert England has wanted that movie for so long. Has Robert England seen your short? Do you know? Yes, he has seen my shorts. Wes saw a couple of them actually before he passed. Mm -hmm. um, and um, a bunch of the alumni have seen my stuff over the years because, you know, people keep going. I guarantee you, everyone who goes up to uh, Robert England is like, Have you seen the Kruger thing? There have been several instances. Like, I saw an interview with Robert England where someone had mentioned Roberti goes, yeah, oh, I know him. You know, like he keeps, he's mm -hmm. heard it at this point. Um, one thing I did actually explain in my Kruger uh, feature, how the hell he got that outfit the day he died. I explain it. And it's the easiest fucking answer possible. He gets killed on Christmas. <laughs> and he received that sweater as a Christmas present by his wife and daughter. And they go, put it on. And he goes, Okay, fine. Yeah. And he puts it on. And he's wearing his leather jacket and fedora when he goes out because it's cold. It's it's Illinois or Ohio or whatever. So yeah, he's wearing a Christmas sweater when he gets killed. Easiest answer in the book. And that's it. That makes the most damn sense. Mm -hmm. that's awesome. I want to see that uh movie. And getting forced to wear it. <laughs> the um the first episode of Freddy's Nightmares kind of did that a little bit, but never to my satisfaction. And like I said, you hit it out of the park with this Kruger series. So I think the problem I with uh Freddy's night, you know, that, that episode of Freddy's Nightmares and anybody else, like even in part six when they tried to do the flashbacks, they never commit to the bit. Yeah. It's always a flashback or it's a one-off or it's not taken seriously because the content, when you think about it, it's like why, why did Freddie uh, graduate from murdering actual children to, you know, teenagers? Because nobody in 1984 was going to allow for Freddie to be murdering five and six year olds on camera. Hmm. So my feature is like, well, fuck you. It's happening. Yeah. Is what it is. And, but that's the story. And I, I got to stick with the story. And also the, uh, by the way, the genesis of how Freddie goes to murdering children i think is pretty organic in my story as well mm -hmm. mm. um it starts out protectively he's gonna just you know uh he he just he sees a, a boy picking on his kid because he's working at the school and his kid's going there 
and he protectively goes to the parents and say, hey, tell your kids to stop picking on mine. The father aggressively attacks Freddy, and Freddy's like, fuck you, kills the father, and before killing the father, says, you know what, I'm not only am I going to kill you, I'm going to kill your fucking kid, too, out of spite. Mm. He kills the first kid, and he's like, well, that was fun. Mm. And that's where, like, I want to do more of that. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Listen, Hollywood, I know I've been talking a lot of shit about you guys lately, and I do mean <laughs> Because you guys got to take care. Hang on one second. Kyle, where the fuck have you been? What's good, bro? It's been a long time. You need to bring your Canadian ass back, man. Good day, Wait. Mike. Wait, he's Canadian. That's right. Hey. Chris, <laughs> <laughs> you were way off. I don't know what the hell you were going with. with I was joking. <laughs> Powder Toast Man, right on McDonald. You made a story about... Yeah, I did um, a Rick and Morty short film where they hired <laughs> Wendy to torture Ronald McDonald for the Szechuan sauce recipe. I want it! It's called Rick and Morty Strike Again. I'm going and then I also it. did um, a Powder Toast Man fan film, which uh, AJ helped produce. Um, and it's little Johnny all grown up. That's awesome. And he finds his powdered toast. Nice. It ends horribly. I still want to see it. <laughs> uh, well, hit us up, Kyle. Shoot me an email. I got to get my Discord thing together. I, I I don't know what I'm doing on there, man, but I'll figure it out. But, Chris, I have a question for you. Yeah. Yo. <laughs> All right. Chris, not worst damn gamer, Chris. I not know, Puerto Rican, Chris. That's why we call you that. <laughs> so you know. But I would love to have you on for, like, a watch party type of thing and just go through your films and, if you wouldn't yeah, mind, be fun. discussing them as we're going through them and just, I guess, invite as many people who wants to come and watch these films because you have some some dope, dope content. And I love your input on things. I love how you're just telling people you can literally just go out there and just try it. $2,000 or less challenge. I love it. I think let's say hashtag $2,000 or less. On your films, in the description and all that shit, when you post them on YouTube, hashtag $2,000 or less. <laughs> In the budget, that because that's going to start a thing. That's going to start a trend. People love those trends. And Another thing that's going to make people stuff. go nuts is you know how they have like the forty-eight hour film challenge, and people are like expressing how difficult it was. I'm just like, I don't even break a sweat during that. It's like a forty-eight hour film challenge. You mean two movies at once? Like, because <laughs> I can. I, the longest it's taken me to, or the shortest it's taken me to make a movie was eight hours to shoot, that's and a- then another four hours to edit. That's a, wow. So, a but I'm not going to get into that because I know that people don't have that kind of speed or stamina. I am the world's fastest filmmaker. How long was it? Um, Probably like eight to ten minutes. What do I mean? Hang on. I'll, there's a bunch of these right. I've done. So that's, let me get to my list. That's what understanding list. your vision does for you. That's literally what that does for you. That allows you to go in, get the shots you want, get it how you want them and need them to be. Get and get out. With mm-hmm. the idea of you know what, if I do it this way and do this this way and I do this this way, I don't have to cut this out. I don't have to jerk to here. I don't have to do this. I can always be put in my special effect if I need. And you just have it framed out. That's that's what preparation is for you people. All right. So I am Kingpin. My most recent short film is nine minutes and 42 seconds. And I shot that whole thing in a day. Nice. We started wow. at one o'clock and we wrapped it around... Um, 8 p.m. with breaks in between for pizza and waiting for people. Um, let's see here. Uh, my Maniac Cop short uh, was 
that was a two minute short. I'm not going to count that, but that was also um, one day. <clears throat> what else? This Going down my, my list. Let's guy. see. Space Ghost, that's six minutes and 47 seconds. I did that in four hours. Spider Gwen was seven minutes. I did that in uh, four hours. Um, Gen 13 was nine minutes. I did that in about five, six hours. Um, I don't remember how long Powerpuff Girls was or how long it took to make that one. Uh, Big Barda of Suburbia was eight minutes. I did that in about six hours. Sub Zero for Scorpion, I did that. That's a five, a six minute movie, and I did that in two to four hours. Definitely gonna go check that one out. And that was also, these are all like one day shoots I'm talking about over here. Yeah, buddy. Um, I like That's it. Skynet, so freaking impressive. Skynet was two days, but I had to split that up because we had to do some reshoots because footage didn't come out right. Um, let's see. The tick, Martha. Then some of the more complicated ones that took like one or two days. And the only reason why they take like one or two days is because the locations are just really far apart. I don't want to stretch everyone thin. So it's like, oh, we'll just shoot one scene here and then we'll meet up tomorrow and shoot the other scene. You know, that's fair. Like uh, Domino was uh, eight minutes and that was shot in one day. And that was uh, about a four hour shoot. Mother Mm. was about a four hour shoot, five hour shoot, give or take. That was 12 minutes. Wow. What's your favorite um, genre to uh, be working on? That whether it's writing or just to film or whatnot to create. Um, superhero and horror are usually like my two yeah. favorites, and I love being able to combine them. Gotcha. Being able to do okay. superhero horror, something that's superheroic and scary at the same time. Right, burn. No. Um, <laughs> no. More like uh, if you watch my uh, short film Haunted City, it's basically you have a vigilante ghost who's scaring bad guys to death mm. that's cooler than evil superman i don't like evil superman trope it's dumb yeah we we're, we're well, i would have to beg to differ sir <laughs> <laughs> ah my warrior predator short film that was uh seven and a half minutes i did that in uh three hours because i was shooting in between tourists who were coming to the canyon where we were filming see man yeah, I, I, I'm definitely having you back on for this watch party thing. I think we should do it in October because it's just the month to do horror. Yeah, why not? And yeah, man, I got to... a wealth of information. But I do believe, like, that if you want to really, really challenge yourself, shoot your movie and edit your movie and have it done in 24 hours and have the whole thing on a 2000 or less dollar budget. I think we need to, like, write something up behind the scenes and just put that challenge out there for everybody and – just put the hashtag under $2,000 budget. Oh, my God, bro. Hours. You know how they do those fucking, like, either beats or four different rappers or singers on the same beat type mm-hmm. challenges? We need to do one script out and have different filmmakers make a two-minute video of it and Ooh. fucking vote on which one's the best. I did do um, a filmmaking contest a while back. It was called the Spook Contest, where... I had a concept, and the concept was you have to have a horror movie with a sheet ghost as your villain. As you know, the, there had to be a guy in a sheet ghost, and do anything you want with it. And I had about maybe four or five people who uh, submit them to me, and they were pretty good. But yeah, the, like awesome. I think that that the spook challenge I think is really in- intriguing because it's it's very difficult to make a sheet ghost scary. It is. It's true. 
But yeah, if someone can pull off making cutting, a shit, of then you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. The movements have to be perfect, or the stillness has to be even better. Yeah, or the editing and the music cues, the editing, yeah. the movements, and then the lighting. You got to know how to light that sheet, man. You got to know how to put music and and film that person in the sheet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shit, man. So many good ideas. So many good ideas and cheap. That's cheap. the that's the affordable, if you want to call it that. If you don't want it to sound cheap, say affordable. Mm-hmm. Where you don't even need to have a budget, just use shit around the house. That's basically what well, he's telling the cool you. The thing do. is, because we're in the 4K era of cell phones, you don't even need a fucking camera. You just use your mm-hmm. phone. And if yeah. you can just hold your phone still enough or get a, a little thing for it, you could shoot yeah, something yeah. pretty innovative. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's very, 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 very true. Yeah. It was harder for me growing up because we didn't have that in the you know turn of the century. We mm-hmm. listen to me. Back in my day, in the turn of the century, we didn't have these fancy 4K <laughs> cell phones. We just had regular old fancy <laughs> phones. Yep. When I wanted to hang up on someone, I go, "Yes, well, fuck you." <laughs> What's the sound of one hand clapping? Shutting your cell phone is what it is. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's but yeah, um, I had a shit on home video, man. Home video sucks by comparison. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. It's rough. It's rough. But while we still have you here, I do want to bring up this right here. Ah, yes. So Ooh. this is. What's up? Robot Princess from Planet X. It's um, an ode to the 1950s sci-fi movie. So I wanted to challenge myself. And I wanted to be able to make a movie that felt like it was made in the 50s. And again, I have my $2,000 budget that I'm trying to do. Yep. So I'm going to be shooting in my trusted Bronson Canyon in Hollywood. That's where Robot Monster was filmed and a bunch of other sci-fi movies. Batman 1966 was filmed there. Army of Darkness was filmed there. And um, I want to be able to show uh, uh, or make a movie that felt like it was made back then as an ode. Now, I actually have with me a little prop I can show you guys. I refurbished this. This is from my Gort short, but it is now the helmet of the Space Ranger. That's Because in classic um, 1950s filmmaking fashion they reuse everything you'll note like if you were to watch um like doctor who and star wars that there are some people wearing the same outfits so yeah we're reusing the the gort helmet so this is the space rangers helmet now i've swapped out the red visor for a blue one i gave him a new paint job today and um this won't fit my big fucking head but you know whoever i, know I get feeling, to put it, in, it will look great it sucks i get so jealous i'm like what the f- I, mean, I know, not, dude. Not, like, not, not seriously, only, I try to put this I, thing on, and it's just like it, it's, yeah. it's not going. It's not going to go. Even if I take my hat off, it's not going to go. So I'm not going to bother. But yeah, I got to take a fucking head. It's it sucks. Man. I know the feeling because you see some stuff, and it's like, okay, I, I want that, and then you're like, oh, really? This is the biggest size they have. Or once and one size fits all is a damn lie. It is a lie. I went to Texas to get fucking boots. Do you have an idea how hard it was for me to find boots that fit in Texas? It's a lot of <laughs> alligator, bro. <laughs> on top of that back in 2012 i wanted to do a captain america show where i who was in shape at the time wanted to play captain america and i ordered the helmet <laughs> didn't fit and that pissed me off so much i got the suit on i'm like Thunk. 
Oh, come on. All right, Captain America doesn't have his helmet on this outfit. It's fine. Mm. So, yeah, I got a big head. Yep. Purchase of the choir, man. I already know. <laughs> but, yeah, Robot Princess from Planet X, basically. If you're just, like, a fan of those, like, space age creature features, like Forbidden Planet or The Day the Earth Stood Still or It Came from Outer Space or even just Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you'll like Robot Princess. It's just that, you know, that, that classic style story where there's uh it, it, the science makes no sense you know they, they, they've mm. successfully combined man and machine together into one but they have abandoned their emotions in favor of logic and shit like that it's all silly i love it yeah yes, the, so the, plot is the, the robot princess um has uh left planet x and the space ranger must uh find her and bring her back and protect her Yo, you, know? you- you need to be doing fucking short stories or like reads of stories, voiceover for like narration of stories because the way you switch <laughs> the characters up and shit like that, I fucking love it. I do have radio plays I put on my channel, which are in the podcast playlist. So I do awesome. voice some characters. Nice. Um, but I have a guy who my friend Emmanuel does these amazing uh voiceovers. So he's actually my narrator. I might do um I might do the narration for this one just because I have that that higher voice of you know. Robot princess from Planet X being able to talk like this from that transcontinental con- uh, transcontinental accent of the 1950s. That's awesome. That's and awesome, it works man. for this. It works perfect. For this look. Yeah, yeah. So That's perfect. But yeah, it's it's just it's fun, and um, you know, I'm actually really happy that I got this sucker here because you know it looks just like the drawing, and that's what I was going for. I got some more artwork on my Facebook or on the thing. Actually, I posted it there. But yeah. Um, if anybody is a fan of this kind of stuff, um, please contribute. If I can at least cross the $500 uh, threshold, I can begin production because I'm that fucking resourceful. You hear that, guys? You hear that 205 right now. We can get that I was up. I say 300 more dollars, folks. And he's starting. Dollars. But, let's, but that let's doesn't mean stop either. Nah, get this guy no, to In the words of Tim Robinson, you got to give. You got to give. Did you give? You got to give. Did you give? <laughs> You gotta give. You gotta give. <laughs> you gotta give. Oh shit! I love it. Yeah, hell yeah. I love the I, just the passion that you have for. You can just tell. You can really like you. If really you don't love what you're doing, why you're doing it? Honestly, when yeah. I was working on set a couple of times, I'd run into these people who are very disillusioned and tired and drained, and I'm like, "Why are you upset?" And there's like, ah, you know, another day, another dollar. I go, another day, another dollar. You could be working at McDonald's right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're on a set. Collect You're playing pretend or... professionally. Mm-hmm. Okay. I I don't give a fuck. I would do that any day over, Shit, over yeah. anything else. Any day on any bad day on a set is better than a good day parking cars, in my opinion. Working minimum wage. Like, fuck it. I, I want to be on set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I get it, though, because, again, you have that strong passion for it. And it's like, this is what I really want to do, no matter how good or how bad this day is going to be doing it. But this is what I'm going to do. And I want it's it. The, it's the drive that gets me through, you know, where mm-hmm. lesser people would be like, that's it. I can't do it. It's too much. I go, we're going to finish this or someone's going to die. There you go. See, so there's other people just as intense in me in life. Yeah. <laughs> I had, um, I'll tell you guys a funny story. So back in, um, I've had some run-ins with the police over the years. 
and um they're they're very colorful uh, endings all of them but uh my very first time this is the progression of, of police situations so you can kind of see the trajectory of how i've evolved as well first time was in 2004 um i was making uh, a movie back in new jersey and we were doing this fight scene i was acting in it and my brother was working the little home video camera so um I was this deranged hitchhiker and I was fighting this guy and we had a gun prop and the gun was, um, he had got, um, I think he had like an airsoft CO2 airsoft gun, okay. but we also had, um, a water gun that I had painted silver just as the, the stunt gun. Right. So we're doing the fight scene. We finished the fight scene. And that's it. We're just, I'm sitting on the ground reviewing the footage on my camera when all of a sudden, a bunch of cop cars come rolling up on me and we're in like this little alcove off of service road. Right. So we're not even in main traffic and they go, put down the gun. And I got the camera strapped to my hand. I go, Whoa, Whoa, that's a camera. That's a camera guys. Don't, don't kill me over here. And I go, what happened? And they go, we got word. Cause there was a hotel like about 50 yards away. We got word that two guys were beating the shit out of each other. Some asshole was filming it and um, they had a gun and I go, Oh, that was a prop and they go show it so i take the the co2 one i kind of put it under the seat but i show them the shitty water gun i go it's this one guys and they like all right this movie better win a fucking oscar because you just got like two departments involved here and everything and just wasting our damn time i go i didn't fucking call you people okay some person in the hotel calls you yell at them (laughs) so they leave and then flash forward to seven years later in 2011, I'm doing a, um, a bank heist movie. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, you see where this is going. <laughs> so we had rented a bank, actually. I had, I had some bucks, and I was able to rent a bank for the day, right? So all the, the whole bank robbery went off without a hitch. But we needed um, a pickup shot of the van pulling up because I forgot. I never got the van pulling up in front of the building. So it was a Sunday. It was a national holiday. It was snowing. We go to the banking district in downtown Jersey City, and I go to the waterfront, and um, I'm like, all right, that bank looks cool, or that building looks cool. I don't even need to see what's behind me. I just need the van pulling up, a building in the background, and people running out of the van past the camera, and I can just cut to my previously shot footage. So we get that shot. Then I get this guy who's shoveling snow, and he goes, what are you doing? I go, oh, we're just doing a student film. Don't yell at me. You always say it's a student film. They'll never bother you if it's a student film. Well, he did. So he says, uh, you can't film. This is private property. I go, oh, I'm not filming your building. My back is to your building. I'm filming the building across the street, and I'm standing in the street, which is public property. So no harm, no foul. He goes, get your fucking van out of here. Now I'm going to call the cops. I go, dude, chill, Okay. You may be shoveling snow on the sidewalk, but the street is public property, my friend. I know this because I had a run-in with the police five years previously, and they told me, <laughs> different, different short, you can't shoot on the sidewalk. It's private property, but the street is public property. So I know my lesson. And he goes, no. And he's yelling at me, and I go, you know what? Fine, screw it. Fuck off. So I get in my van. He hits my van with a shovel, my rented U-Haul. He's hitting my fucking U-Haul with a shovel. I go, the hell's your problem because you're trying to run me over go if i was trying to run you over be under the fucking van all right fuck off so i leave and i drive around and i park in front of what ironically used to be a bank is now a japanese restaurant but they do have the safe still in there nice so we're just parked and we're waiting and all of a sudden i see cop cars 
Oh shit, something's going down. They start sealing off the block. I'm like, oh shit, something's really going down. What's going on? All of a sudden, I see this little Dennis Franz looking motherfucker come walking up to me, and he's just like, put your hands on the wheel now. Don't fucking move. I go, shit, am I in like a, a no standing zone? I'll move, officer. I roll down the window, gun right into my head. Don't fucking move. Show me your hands. I go, okay, okay. All right, all right. Relax, relax. There are women in the back of the van. We're doing a movie. I don't know what the hell you think happened, but don't fucking kill anybody. Yanks me out of the van, throws me on the ground, cuffs me, and he says, you make one move, I will light you up. And I start laughing. Hysterically laughing. He goes, what's so fucking funny? I go, you are going to laugh too when you find out what's going on. We're This is a movie. I don't even know what the hell is going on, but we're not doing whatever the hell you think it is drags me over drags my actors out my actors are crying hysterically and i'm almost like everybody stay calm it's gonna be fine and everyone's like why are you laughing I go, you're gonna laugh too and i explain what's going on and they go just save it for the sergeant and they go fine i save it for the sergeant sergeant comes over he goes what happened and i explained to him uh we were doing a movie and um i don't even know why you thought we were doing it because we're just parked here everything was in the back and we have airsoft weapons but they were not being brandished we're not even physically filming right now, so it's not like you need a permit. So what happened? I go, someone called 911 and said that three terrorists in ski masks were driving around with machine guns in a white panel van. Well, I know Damn. who that was. Damn. So I told them what happened, and then I hear the best words ever. The, someone whispers to the sergeant. He goes, sir, we don't have a crime here. I go, mm. you think? You think? So they go, all right, we'll, we'll let you go. We'll let you go. I go, thank you very much. But first, we have to bring you down to the station because the captain wants to yell at you. I go, fine. <laughs> I go down to the station. The captain yells at me saying I could have got someone killed. I go, I wasn't the one threatening to murder anybody. I was just chilling. But sure, it's my fault, right? And they go, all right, all right, all right, all right. Take them downstairs. Book them. I go, What? And they go, we got to book you. I go, why? I didn't do anything. Well, you know, there was two departments called in, and, and it's just this Damn. big scene, a lot of egg on our face. They go, yeah, egg on your face. Why am I getting booked? I got my, my fingerprints taken. They put me in a cell that's like a Hannibal Lecter size cell, like a little tiny one, too. And I'm just sitting there, and the cop who threatened to murder me is just like, you're right, this was funny, wasn't it? I go, it's hilarious. <laughs> so, Damn. ultimately... They uh, they let me out, but they go, I have to go to court. I go, what fucking for? They go, well, if you want, like, you know, your guns back, you got to go to court so you can get them back and everything. And I go, what? They go, don't worry, we'll take care of you. I go, just like you took care of me on the street? Don't worry, we'll take care of you this time. I go, okay. So I get my court date. A month later, I go to court. I'm sitting there. The courtroom is empty. The judge comes out, and she's like, "Where where is everybody? And I'm like... And she goes, well, seeing as how not even the prosecution bothered to show up, I guess I'm going to have to dismiss the case. And all my time was wasted. I go, I'm sorry, Your Honor. But yeah, they didn't show. That was how they, they took care of me. So all, all charges dropped, everything dismissed, and that was the end of it. But still, police, they're hilarious, aren't they? <laughs> so flash forward to um, um, 2017. I'm skipping over another cop story, but 2017, I'm doing a Flash fan film in this alley and it's um a narrated scene so there's no no actual audio or dialogue right and i wanted to do like a a, a trayvon martin style scene where the flash actually stops the bullet from killing the kid mm. and my actors were not the brightest 
because I have the flash. I go, okay, so what you're going to do is you you grab the gun, disintegrate the gun with your hands, press him into the wall, and yell at him and berate him. And he goes, okay, action. And he's screaming at the top logs, you're going to shoot a kid with a gun, shoot a kid with a gun, shoot a kid with a gun. And I'm like, dude, there's no dialogue in this. Just just mouth it. He goes, oh, sorry. Soon, no, sooner I say that, cops show up. And, I, and they go, what's going on over here? I go walking over, and I, I have a black child in a hoodie with me. I go, you, whatever you do, stay right there. Do not move. Don't say anything. Because mm-hmm. I will not have a black child die on, by LAPD on my set. So I go over. I go, we're shooting a, a Flash movie. And they go, we got where there was a gun or something. Go, oh, it's, it's the Flash. And he was really overzealous. We, it's all props. Go, you got the Flash here? Yeah. Where is he? I go, hey, Flash. He comes jogging over. What's up, guys? And they see him come running over in his little red outfit. They take one look at him and go, all right, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes, so the lesson from that day was always have a guy in a red spandex costume. (laughs) (laughs) Come out. Come on. No, seriously. When you have have the costume character show up at that point, all suspicion just drops, and they're just like, yeah, there's no way in hell they would be faking this because what's he doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Same thing happened with Daredevil. We were um, just shooting in New York, and it was just really cold, and an ambulance uh, parked in the alley. I go, hey, guys, can we just, like, sh- you know, chill out in the back of the ambulance for a bit because it's cold? And they go, what are you doing? I go, I got Daredevil over here. Where? I call him over. Hey, Daredevil, he comes jogging over. Oh, shit, you got Daredevil? Let's take a selfie. Yeah, yeah, you can sit in the back of the ambulance. It's cool. Nice. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. freaking cool. That's so cool. And again, this is all from just approaching and being polite and all that other stuff that we were saying earlier. He was pointing out there earlier. And you just got to ask stuff. Sometimes things just fall into your lap. Um, I needed um, this is back in 2000, I guess, four. I needed an aerial shot of this one um, sequence. I wanted to do a POV shot of someone from the rooftop looking down at a situation. But we were in a. Um, one of those industrial parks and there were no neighboring buildings mm. and i'm like shit the only way i'm gonna get the shot is like with a fire engine so i call up the local fire department and i'm like hey what are you guys doing right now and they're like nothing why i go can you guys like come out here and let me like shoot from the top of your crane okay <laughs> i had a fire engine come out and i went up to the top of the crane for like two minutes and I got my scene and then they brought me down and they're like, is that it? I go, yeah. And they go, okay, cool. Have a good one. They just drive off because they were bored. (laughs) Servicing the community. Yeah. And you know, it just, it never hurts to ask. That's, that's so freaking cool. That's so freaking because it, you're right. It doesn't, the worst I can tell you is no. Exactly. That's fine. You ask somebody else and you're eventually going to get a yes. I've been pretty, um, I mean, I've, I've been pretty modest with my asks lately. Like I don't want to go for outlandish shit, but you know, sometimes it works like, uh, you know, cops there or whatever, like, Hey, can you flash your lights for me? And they'll go, yeah, sure. Why? And you'll tell them why. And they'll, you want to get that effect, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, other times like, uh, I don't know. It's, I got, I got trapped in this, um, I guess national park i couldn't go one that they locked the way that i wanted to leave so like you know you just ask but i had someone basically escort me out the other end Mm -hmm. um but i had to go through like a crazy like 
trek to get through it and everything like that. But yeah, it's just sometimes you got to ask. Yeah. yeah. Closed mouth don't get fed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. That's wow. So many freaking gems in this episode, which is just so awesome. For you, those of you that are watching and your content creators, I hope you're really paying attention because... I have a, um, I have a, 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 I guess a seminar that I kind of teach from time to time when I go to like conventions and do like panels, and it's called "How to Shoot a Movie Without Getting Shot." <laughs> wow! And I basically kind of outline like a lot of the stuff I, I I talked about tonight with with you know the cop story specifically in those incidents, yeah, and then just you know figuring out it, it's the it's basically like guerrilla filmmaking. And I do believe that guerrilla filmmaking is still a very viable. And there are very, very sensible ways to go about doing it. And there are very smart ways to go about it. stupid ways, too. But those people aren't really around right now because they're dead. So be smart. Yeah, be smart, be safe. And again, ask. Because I heard a horror story. This one guy, I think it was, I think it was Texas. But he had um, a gun. I don't know if it was a prop gun or not, but cops came and arrested his ass and he went to jail for it because I guess he didn't have the right permits or whatever. Mm. And it's just like, you're, if you're shooting with, uh, uh, first off, any kind of weapon, whether it be real or fake, wherever you do, you got to keep the thing down and, and conceal at all times and only pull it out for the shot that you need and make sure those shots that you're doing it for aren't crowded or around people who are not going to know what's going on. One thing I did a couple of times when I was shooting in my hometown was I did my heart, my first horror movie, Methodic, there. I called up the police. I go, hey, listen, we're going to be filming uh, this evening doing these particular shots. There's going to be a girl running in the street screaming, help me, help me. He's trying to kill me. So if you get any 911 calls, don't don't respond to those ones because that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Which now that I think about it would be really good if I actually was planning to murder somebody. But... <laughs> um, I also went around and I put flyers on all the doors of the houses saying, hey, we're shooting from this particular time. Please, you know, don't think something real is happening. Okay. And um, I did get my permit for that day and everything like that. But, you know, it's stuff like that that helps as well. Just communicating mm -hmm. with your fine. locals and, you know, explaining I mean, stuff. I mean, it's the most respectful thing and it makes the most sense just because you have the permit to work there. It's like, OK, but I may be disturbing these people in their regular lives. So let me just. Put the flyers out there, and if I see them come outside, hey, hey, my name is so and so. We're going to be shooting a movie from this time to this time, and this is what's going to be going on. Basically, we can't give you too much, but this is what's going to be going on. So please don't worry. It's, and we're going to get it done as soon as we can. We're shooting from this time to this time, but we're really trying to get it done here. And if we have yeah. no distractions or nothing, we'll get it done. We'll be out of your hair before you even know it. Another thing I've also done sometimes as well is I've done screams in post just because I know I can either get it done correctly in post. And so there's no need to scream at the top of your lungs down your street when someone's getting chased, you know? So sometimes mm. I've had actors just go, ah, ah, you know, and then I'll dub it in post later on. And I still get the same effect. Oh, that's interesting. It is helpful. Nice. That's interesting. But I guess yeah. it makes sense too, though. It makes sense. The that's goal is, you know, when you're guerrilla filmmaking is to be the, you want to be a ninja. You yes. don't want to get in other people's way. You don't want to be a distraction. You don't mm -hmm. want to up, you know, disturb the peace. And piss people off. <laughs> mm -hmm. So anything that you can do to minimize that would really help. So if you can get something done in post, you do it. If you can cheat something, 
cheat it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, there's no need to have a character brandish weapon if they don't need to. Don't run into fucking a crowded room with an airsoft and expect not to get shot by police. Like, you know? Yeah, doing stupid. Yeah. Don't write those scenes. Write something that takes place in an abandoned warehouse or an alley or a private. Another thing, too, is private locations. You can get away with so much in a private location because it's private. It's privately owned. You can do whatever you want there, you know, versus, again, going into Times Square and doing, you know, a, a murder sequence. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That won't cause a traffic jam or nothing. I did um, a, a spoof back in uh, 2005 called Action Man, where this girl was getting robbed. Like she was getting, you know, uh, uh, mugged by her, from her purse by this guy. And Action Man is supposed to, the joke is, he can't find a place to change his costumes. All the phone booths are gone. <laughs> so he's going everywhere. He's going to like a porta potty. He, go, he gets thrown into a cab. He's doing everything. He can't change it to his fucking costume. And by the time he gets there, the girl has beat the shit out of the mugger herself. <laughs> However, this is back in the day of my little home video camera. So when the obvious, give me your purse. Well, some guy actually almost beat the shit out of my dude because they thought he was actually trying to steal her purse. And I was like, thank you. You are an amazing Samaritan. But no, this, 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 this over the top broad daylight mugging was fake. Mm -hmm. I am not John Kinsieris. Okay. This is not what would you do? No, no. This is just a movie, guys. This is just a movie. Yeah. I like wow, it. Wow, man. I love it. This this was such again. This was, thank you for coming on, by the way. This was such an awesome episode. No problem, man. This was such an awesome episode. I can't wait to do this again with you and this watch party thing. I think I want to try to make this a thing for October. So any uh indie people that want to show your shorts or your films or whatever. And you know what? I'm gonna throw in no fan film, no fan film rule, just to make it a little more interesting. Unless they're shorts, they have to be fifteen minutes or less if it's a fan film. Well, I host a screening, man. You want to you want to do five minutes shorts or less? Trust me. <laughs> if, by the way, if there's any filmmakers watching this who are in the LA area, send me your shorts because I do Tuesday night screenings at Esco's Pizza, actually, which has an amazing back room, uh, a screening venue. So uh, we, uh, you know, I host. So you can send me your fan films, but you got to be a local filmmaker to LA because I want you to physically be there oh, we want butts and seats if you're not there you ain't screening that's so awesome that's great that's so awesome and it's called tuesday night screenings um our fourth one is scheduled for september 12th nice that's amazing congratulations man. thank that's, you that's beautiful that's beautiful and listen people out in the la area take advantage of that you want people to see your film you want to know how people really feel you're going to get it right there and we get a really good turnout. We get about like at least fifty people each each month. Nice. Like we do run out of seats. It's a small venue, but it's still a fancy venue. Um, if you watch my Kingpin short film, you can actually see because we shot the whole thing there. Nice. See, see what I mean? This guy is just the real deal. <sighs> it really is, man. I remember. I don't even know what else to say. Like I'm, I'm so appreciative <laughs> for you coming on, just because. I know we were coming on to kind of discuss the fan films that we, you know, that we watched previously, but then we just dove into just a dope, deeper, doper conversation, an important conversation to where anybody that wants to create any type of content, more specifically fan films or film, no, sorry, films in general. It's like, yo, look, you could do it for a zero dollar budget. You could do it for two grand or less. Have your ideas, write your script, practice and shoot it and. Do the goal do. is uh, as a director or a filmmaker because i don't call myself a director i call myself a filmmaker 
it's to be able to do as much as you can as well as you can do it because that way it gives you an advantage when you're in a competitive field i remember when i was back in college i talked to a film student and she was putting together her thesis and you know she was portuguese and she had this story that she wanted to do so i go oh so what are you gonna do for your thesis she goes i want to tell um the story that uh, i learned from my childhood in portugal i go oh cool so did you write you didn't write the story but it's from a book or something right she goes yes it is I go, okay so you're going to adapt the story so you're writing the script she goes no mm. who is oh, i'm going to get a screenwriter to adapt the script for me okay so um are are you are you gonna um you know you, you didn't write it are you gonna are you gonna shoot it no i'm gonna get a cinematographer you're gonna edit it no i'm gonna get an editor can you tell me what it is that you're gonna do on this project i'm going to direct you're just going to direct you're, you're going to filmmaking school and you're going to just call action and cut and maybe give notes here and there blew, blew my mind I, i'm like why why are you doing this me at the time i was just like i'm learning how to do mold making i'm learning how to do animation 2d animation editing special effects uh, uh lighting costumes props all that shit and you're gonna just direct spielberg mm. it baby yeah in a competitive market the more you do the more valuable you are because people want to optimize their own budgets so why would i as a producer want to pay for a writer a director a cinematographer and an editor when i can get one guy who can do essentially all those jobs for a flat fee you mm -hmm. know or a fixed budget it's a lot cheaper when someone because that's another thing too i when i do stuff it's like look i do all these things myself um it's cheaper if i just you know did it myself anyway so just hire me you know um yep rather than like getting somebody who had getting get individual people plus the level of communication you have to have to communicate all these things different people it clogs up the process just doing an email where you're trying to convey an idea or doing a conference call where you're explaining what you want and sitting in and talking to people can be really really tedious i don't have to do storyboards for my cinematographer because we own the same body mm. <laughs> wow man this this was just freaking pull this one up here with kyle so much great information here this is a fantastic interview thank you i'm glad you appreciated it hell yeah this was again important and it's it's just getting doper because since since i started focusing more towards the indie scene which i'm trying my best to stick with the indie scene as much as i can can as you know creating the content i create I'm just loving that you guys are coming on so willingly and showing your content and let us discuss it and all that stuff because like why not? And I want I'm trying to do it as long as this strike goes, but at the same time I do want to keep my show going. So just throwing it out there. But I do want to keep doing this because I I love this shit so much. This is so freaking fun having you guys on here. And not only just like you guys don't just come on here just to like talk about yourself or promote yourself. You're talking about how you can get in your foot in the door. And it's basically just try, it. pick it up and do it. That's, that's the one message I get from everybody is do it. But the one thing I love that you said is like, you know what? Challenge yourself. Do uh -huh. it. Try to make stuff. Try to make films for $2,000 or less. Just try to make films for $2,000 or less. And what? just make that your goal to where you, mm -hmm. and you, you can be a beast at it. Cause then you're going to be okay. I can, I know how 15 minutes. Okay. I can develop this story. Boom, boom, boom. Here's the, here's how you can get the, you know, the important parts that pull you in, that keep you, and that make you go, oh shit, or whatever. And I'll put all those in there within 
each other, mix it around in a crazy way. You just, I don't know how the hell you do it, but I love it. That's it. For me, it's like, I view it like working out, you know, this is my version of pumping iron because I'm a bodybuilder uh, in filmmaking. Every short film I do is, is me working out again. And I went all of 2022 without making something and I felt terribly out of shape. So I made Amalgam in 2023 and then I did Kingpin and now I'm trying to do Robot Princess. And it's like, you got to keep your skills up. You can't just say like, it took me five years to make a short film and now I'm going to make a feature. First off, fuck you, no. Okay, because if it, your first thing is always going to be, you know, mediocre at best, you have to really work at it and get that skill level up to do a feature second off if you do a feature you know that's fantastic it doesn't mean unless you've got another feature lined up immediately after you make another short film when you're not making a big project make a short film because a you'll keep your mouth your name in everyone's mouth two or b it's going to keep your skills fresh and tight and 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 just flexed you know rather than oh it's been ages since i got behind the camera you don't want to ever have to have that conversation where it's like, when was the last time you made something before the pandemic? Why would I want to hire you, man? You haven't made anything since before the pandemic. You have any idea how years, how many years it's been since the pandemic? Like make something yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just love that attitude. It's like, why, why did you stop? <laughs> oh, and in terms of um, getting your foot in the door to be a filmmaker is to be insane because it's the definition of doing the exact same thing and expecting a different outcome each time you're doing, you're making the movie and you're expecting to make it with that movie each mm -hmm. time. And every time they say, no, this is the one you make another one. You make another one. You make another one. You bang your head against that wall and so that wall smashes or you die. Yeah. Yeah. But still it's, I guess it for me, it's just because I see the end results and then here and there, if, you know, on films or whatever, we'll throw some of the, not necessarily gag reels, some of the blooper reels, I guess you can say, but just some of the behind the scenes stuff. I love seeing that stuff to where you really get like kind of a better idea. You don't necessarily get the onset idea, but a better idea of like what's going on into filmmaking. And that's, that's a reason why I would want to be on set, not because the glitz and glamour and the lights, fuck all that. I want to know how shit works. Like I want to know how the light works. I want to know where you have to have the light, where the light needs to be positioned and all that. I want to know where the, I'll give you an easy thing for lighting. It's very simple to do lighting case in point. I have one light coming here right on my face. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now look at how the shadow is. I'm getting uh, my hat creating this. If I didn't have this, this side of my face would be blown out like my hand right now, but the hat is creating a little bit of shade. So my face looks a little bit normal, but yeah, if you look like this, my hand is now, this is a hot spot. That's bad. Most lighting setups are very simple. You want to have a light either back here or back here on your actor to highlight this area, just like a little line on either side. So let me see if I can get it to work or not. Nope. Hang on. I'm going to try and do a live demonstration. So case in point, let's do this one over here. So you see that? You see how this part of my face is kind of lit? Yeah. Now this is a little bit more dramatic. Yeah. So now if I were to do a scene and everything, now you don't lose this information here, but I still have this, this hard shadow on my face right here and everything like that. Now, if you were to darken here uh, like that and everything, it looks a bit more dramatic, you know? Mm -hmm. So you have one softer light here like this, one light like this and everything, and boom, now you have some uh, definition on what's going on. Another thing is here, obviously, this is dramatic light. So now I know if I do this, 
my face looks a little bit more evil. If I do a harsh overhead light like this, you're not going to get a whole lot of information. It's really going to just be shaded. Now, the closer the light gets to the face, the more blown out I am. So mm -hmm. you have to soften or diffuse your light now, either through distance or through physically lowering it. The best thing to do is always have a light coming from the side or the, the back side or from the back entirely and like like this, you know? Spielberg does that with um, silhouette shots. You don't ever want to have light just coming boom in front of the face unless it's like in camera, like, oh, someone's staring at something. Mm -hmm. You want to always have lights coming from the side and cr create shadow here. The only time they ever have a light coming directly in the face is when you want to do a soft light on somebody, when you want to just do something simple. But when you're doing something noir, you want to have as harsh shadows and stuff like that. So that's the best I can do for a simple lighting class that's impromptu. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. But like you, uh, you have a light coming here right now, worst gamer, Chris. So you have a light coming here. That's a dramatic light. Now, if you had an additional light behind you, then you would have something kind of dramatic because you have a soft light coming from your face from the glow of your computer. If you put the light that's on um, this side of your face, whatever it is, a little bit further back, you would have a dramatic setup. You, Sturdy, on the other hand, you have a soft light on your face. So your soft light basically is something that would be a little less dramatic. This is like if we were going to just have like a dialogue shot, I'd zoom in closer on your face and then there you'd be. But it, it's bland. It's not anything that's overly dramatic. So again, if I were to do a dialogue scene, depending on the nature of the sequence, if I want to do a, a serious scene, like for example, I could bounce this light right here, maybe, where is it? Something kind of like this. So ultimately the goal would be to have it kind of bounce up off of the table onto my face. I don't have anything okay. that's reflective, but you bounce off of like, just say a white piece of paper or here, diffuse with a white piece of paper. Right. Now look. Yeah, this helps. Now mm. this is a soft light. So if I want to just have a regular dialogue scene, I could do this. Um, if I wanted to be a little bit more dramatic, I can kind of do this. See, a little yeah. soft, not as hard. And then the harsh light over the head and everything. Hang on. You get the idea. But yeah, yeah. diffuser. Interesting. Interesting. The main reason why I have these bright ass lights also is I have a blue screen behind me. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I totally I know why you're doing it. I'm just but saying this, but just to know those filmmaking. things of the lighting and the film. No, that's still some dope information to know. I'm not critiquing you. No, no, no. Because it gives me just ideas for other things. So it's yeah. dope information to know. Messing with these bright ass lights, dimming mm -hmm. them, all that. And yeah, when you're color keying, yeah, you want to have a matte light. That way everything is solid. So yeah, if you got a blue screen, what you're doing is is perfect for blue screening. Thank you. Thank you. And damn, man. People, if he has a class, you need to sit in it. <laughs> take notes. Record it. Take notes. At, just ask permission in the beginning. Hey, is it okay if I turn my camera on and just record this whole thing you're about to say to me? So I can I'll I'll go to any um I'll go to over. any convention if I'm a guest there. If someone invites me as a guest to a convention, I'll show up and I'll talk. I don't even need a mic, I'll just talk. There you go. <laughs> I'll be the greeter, like the Walmart guy. And just yeah. hey, what's going on, guys? Did you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Chris is here, that. aren't you, Chris? Yeah, but the other Chris. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's so cool, though, man. Like I just, uh, it makes it more believe, not believe. No, it makes it more, I guess, believable that you can do it. By which it's plausible. It makes it plausible. Yes. 
when I saw Halloween, that was the first movie I said to myself, oh, now I know how to do it because it felt so small scale because, you know, it's a suburban town. I grew up in a suburban town. I'm like, wait a minute. I have all this at my disposal. Why can't I make movies? And, you know, a lot of people seem to think when they're making a film or what goes into making a film is, oh, I need to have I need to have a trailer. I need to have, you know, big lights and gaffers and rigs and all this. She's like, no, you don't. I just, you could use a cell phone light if you really need to. You can use anything. I've used, I have a, a um, I don't think it's here right now, but um, I have these lights that go in your closet. They're like bars and you just, oh, here it is. This is what I used all of 2019 to light my stuff. So, right. Come on. There we go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's funny you say that because so when I first started doing video, you know, the um the lights that are about this long you get from Walmart. Yeah. The fluorescent ones you just turn on. And, that was my lighting. I had. A That's what this is. Stuff. This goes in your closet. Yeah. But so my, yeah. Look at that. Boom. Yeah. Dramatic lighting right on the face, you know. Mm hmm. And I used, I have two of these, and I would use these for all of my scenes out on the streets. Um, I'd prop them up or place them on something, and that's how I would get the effects that I want. Or I'd literally have characters hold them out, <laughs> out of frame. I'd either yeah. hold them like this or hold them like this, and I get the kind of lighting that I wanted. And those are really good for a while. Now I have a little bit more professional grade lights, but that's a good way to start. And those things are like 20 bucks a pop. See I got them at Rite Aid. There's your lighting. There's your lighting. That's again. Wow! Thank you again, man, because this was just very informative. Yeah, I'm I'm quiet because my brain is just going on things to use this in. You know what I mean? I used I used to use a skateboard as a dolly. Then I upgraded to a wheelchair. Nice. Then um, I lost the wheelchair and I got a doll. One time I used a dolly in a hotel, you know, those like for your suitcases. Mm -hmm. I used that and had someone push me on it. Um, I've sat in cars and had cars just roll and use those as dollies. Um, you know, it's, there's so many ways to do things that you don't need to. You know, those uh, little like butt scooters that you got in like gym class where they put the cones on. You can stand on those. The goal is just to shut the wheels up. If the wheels are allowed, you got a problem. But if you're on like a, a nice, like solid floor, stand on a skateboard, have someone just roll you, you're good. Rollerblades also help, but I'm not that coordinated anymore. But um, the guys who did crank, they use rollerblades all the time. Nice. Hmm. nice. I have rollerblades, but I'm not coordinated. So, exactly. That sounds like a bad idea. That's what I'm saying. Get a wheelchair. Just sit your butt down in a wheelchair and have someone push you. Problem solved. <laughs> Oh man! Too I mean, for all that, you can use a computer chair then, right? Or like a gaming chair. Yeah, but you're gonna have the same. Hear oh, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right. So you're the right. goal is you want to have quiet it's wheels. So quiet, at least the wheelchair wheels. is quiet. Rubber wheels. You're right. Mm-hmm. Little golf cart or something. I can get my hands on a wheelchair. Yeah. Then there you go. Just literally sit in a wheelchair. Have someone push you, and then you just do this with your hands and get the shot you want. And it's perfect. Works every time. Well, shit. Hmm. <laughs> what I love about having you and you guys on is there's like you come on here with like let you make less and less excuses for people who want to do an indie film 
or I want to be a content creator in general because it's basically the same thing as pick up your phone, pick up your camera, and pretty much say something or do something and try something, do something. Yeah. Don't be scared. Just fucking try the shot. If it doesn't work, let's shoot the shit again. Like, and I always tell people, um, because I get a lot of fledging fledgling filmmakers who are like, "Oh, I want to make a feature." Okay, have you made anything else? No. You're gonna suck. What do you mean I'm gonna suck? Why are you trying to shit on my dreams? I go, you'll make a feature. It's just not gonna be good. Why not? You haven't made anything yet. Well, what should I do? Make a five minute short film. Uh, and some guy he said he wanted to do a a fan film sequel to um, what was it? Uh, one of my fan films. I think he wanted to do like um, a fan film sequel to like my Punisher series or whatever. And I was just like. He's like, I want your blessing. I go, no. He goes, why not? He goes, it's not going to be good. He goes, what do you mean it's not going to be good? I'm going to take great care. I'm going to crowd raise all my funds. I go, have you made anything? No, I haven't. And it's not going to be good. Why? Because your first movie always sucks. Then your second movie is kind of better. Your third movie is a little bit better than that. It's not until like your 10th or your 15th film, you're like, I think I know what I'm doing now. Uh, if you watch, if you make your first movie and you sit there and go, I made the best thing ever, you're an idiot. You're delusional. <laughs> I will never accept anybody who says this is my first thing ever and it was amazing. The only time someone's first thing ever is amazing is when they had a lot of money and they had a really good crew behind them. But if you just want to buy yourself for a couple hundred bucks, no, it's going to suck. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you'll mm -hmm. learn so much from that. Yep. Exactly. And that's the other thing too is if my first movie ever was my first idea and I had a budget – I would never have learned anything as a filmmaker because I'd have other people doing things for me. So mm -hmm. I would not be able to function by myself because now I'd be like, well, now I need to learn that thing. I don't know how that thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So you really need to be able to do everything yourself first. You got to wear all the hats. And then once you've worn all the hats and you're comfortable with all those hats, then you can start giving them to other people because now you could speak their language. Mm -hmm. I know how to communicate to a cinematographer. I may not know the name of every lens, I may not know which lens is needed, but I know the shot that I want. And I do know that uh, if it's going to take this amount of time to put a lens on a camera, it shouldn't take that amount of time to put a lens on a camera. I know that if the camera, how long a camera battery is to always have one in your, your pocket, or um, if we're going to be shooting at this hour of the day, this is what we have to get done in the meantime, stuff like that. What kind of lights we're going to need? Uh, uh, um, can the same effect be done quicker with something else? You know, these types of things. If I know how to communicate and speak their language, I get it done faster rather than sitting there going, what is this? Mm -hmm. And learning on set. Learning on set is fine, but when you're the director, you, sh you need to already have a working knowledge of everything. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well said. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. Yes. Listen, people. I think we're going to wrap this one up right here, but there's definitely going to be a part two and probably a part three and a few parts after that. We'll see what That's happens. Because we also have a non-horror show, Popcorn and Pints, mm -hmm. for all the sci-fi and non-horror things that I know he Superhero has. and is going to create. So, yeah. Just proving you guys are showing a lot of love to Indy when we can. So, send us your content. And we'll watch it, review it, and have you on for an interview and all that other fun stuff. Chris, I want to thank you again for coming on, man. This was this was excellent. This was a great freaking time. Anytime. I, you know guys. I love being here. Really, though? Really? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. It was a blast. No problem. I'm always down to come back. I'm always down to bullshit and stroke my ego a little bit more. Hey, I'm down to listen, man. I'm down to listen because you throw a lot of knowledge in there, which yeah. is awesome. And I hope people that are out there wanting to do this kind of stuff, if you're watching this episode, I hope you paid attention because there was a lot of shit in there. And if you missed it, just watch the replay. Just watch yeah. the replay. Get them numbers up. Get them views up. Go follow him everywhere. Go follow us everywhere. And click the links. Donate to yes. my campaigns. Watch my shit and buy my crap. Got to give. You got to give. Got to give. <laughs> Good ending on that. I'll see you in your nightmares. Peace. Oh, man.